Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello. Um, sorry in advance for the crackly sounds. My cast decided now is the time to start using the scratching post. Well, right now there's street construction happening just outside my window, so there may be jackhammers and things. <laughs> That's a little louder than scratching. Yeah, unfortunately, but so far so good. So fingers crossed that it doesn't get to be too bad but Nadia are you ready for E3 no are you I am actually I am ready for E3 if you're not ready for E3 we're all screwed I've been steadily hyping myself up uh, for E3 time because I guess I don't know when it comes to E3 there gets to be a point where I allow myself to be uncynically excited again kind of like the kid who's going to be opening presents Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'll be excited once we're like kind of into the, you know, the press conferences, particularly Nintendo and Square Enix's press conferences. Yeah, I always, this is going to sound so dorky, but I always have that kind of excitement when I'm walking into EA Play of all things for the first time, because I know I'm going to get to see the new sports games (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) Yay, sports. It's the one moment where I'm like uncritically excited because I... I can be excited for that moment of like, oh, maybe these will be really good. Maybe these will be the game changers. And then I can be disappointed and (laughs) feeling let down later. You always have to have that like obligatory letdown. Um, The first E3 I went to was 2006. And that was actually a year I had a revelation. That was the year I was walking to the event with uh, Sharky and Parrish. And I saw like Mountain Dew everywhere. And I'm like, what is up with Mountain Dew? And they're like, don't you have Mountain Dew in Canada? And uh, I said, yeah, but no one cares. Nobody drinks it. And they're like, why? And that's when I learned Mountain Dew in the States had caffeine in it, a lot of caffeine in it. And we didn't have it, like, with caffeine in Canada. So I was like, oh, no wonder you guys are out of your minds. Ugh, I'd rather drink crab juice. Yeah, I definitely want to drink the crab juice. I hate Mountain Dew. Ugh. E3 has changed quite a bit since 2006, i got to say. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, when I look at big events like E3 and, and like PAX and stuff like that, and I go to it now, I'm like, wow, how do we ever do these events without smartphones? I can't even imagine because it's been, I've become so reliant on my smartphone. I, I have to have a, um, a battery pack with me at all times because Absolutely. I'm going to go through my entire battery at least once because it's my recorder. It's my, it, it keeps my schedule. It allows me to check the calendar and, and of course, Google Maps like GPS. So Yeah, it's everything. And, um, yeah, it has changed quite a bit from back when I was, a, you know, a, a lowly freelancer looking at this, like, uh, developer called CD Projekt Red tucked away in this corner that no one really went to. <laughs> eh, <laughs> who are these guys? Never catch on. Nah, nah. Witcher, who cares? I think the biggest difference is in 2006, there were probably a lot of GameStop employees walking around. Now they're who managed to get a a free pass in and were telling all of their friends about the latest hands-on with Assassin's Creed or whatever. Mm -hmm. In 2019, those same people are influencers and live streamers. Oh, God, they are, I guess. And I guess uh, on the feeding chain, according to PR, they're probably above us. So you'll just be seeing people running around with cameras, frantically trying to get as much as possible. And then, of course, they allowed uh, the masses into E3 last year. So They did the unwashed masses, actually. I think it's, <laughs> I'm okay with it. It's crowded, but it's 
I don't think I've been to E3 since they've started doing that. I haven't been to E3 since 2011. I'm, not, I'm part of the home team again. I was always jealous when Jeff Green would tell me about what it was like to cover E3 back in the 90s. And he said, you'd go to some appointments during the day. You'd go have dinner and drinks with developers and such at night. And then at the end of E3, you know, you'd go on a week-long vacation. Then you'd come back and write the magazine. <laughs> wow, magazines. Ah, uh, for the days when you weren't running around like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to get every last little nugget of interesting uh, tidbits that your hope will get picked up by Resetera or Reddit. Yeah, and then you're up at like ass o'clock at night writing in hopes that you get ahead of the crowd on whatever information you got. All right, so we're going to be doing our E3 2019 preview today. As you might expect, we are less than one week away from getting into E3. We're going to hit all of the big topics that are coming up and hitting on some of the big RPGs that we are looking forward to. There are a few. Uh, there are several, in fact. So uh -huh. we'll be talking about all of that. We'll also be talking about all of the Pokemon news that dropped earlier this week and touching briefly on an interesting teaser from Larian Studios. Uh, you should, If you enjoy this podcast and you haven't subscribed, I recommend subscribing on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. We're yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. And if you enjoy the podcast, I strongly recommend that you leave a review because if you leave a review, it will increase our visibility and such. And of course, follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And subscribe to our newsletter. It goes out every Wednesday and includes a fun RPG-related topic. Okay. So Nadia, uh, checking in really quickly... How is your Trails of Cold Steel playthrough going? It's uh, going qu quite well. I am on the Nord Hydelands, and I think uh, war stuff is starting to happen. And I've been kind of caught up playing Blade, which is like the in-game card game. And I'm terrible at it. And it's mostly a game of luck, so whatever. But I still like playing it. Um, but yeah, I'm having a good time. I finally got to ride horses, even though I can't be part of the riding club. So, win. You're also playing Persona Q2. Yes, I am. Um, I know there's like a, there's still some embargo on that, so there's probably can't talk about too much. But uh, yes, I am playing that and kind of observing how it is the same and different from uh, Etrian Odyssey, which is another series I'm still pretty new at. Uh, what's kind of strange, and maybe you won't expect me to hear this, I feel like I feel like Etrian Odyssey is a little bit easier than Persona Q2. And that's because Etrian Odyssey gives you so much control over how you stylize your party and customize it versus uh, Persona Q2, which I'm assuming is like the first one in that you have your, your characters and they have their personas and they have their sub-personas. But outside of like, you know, maybe changing your party members around and rearranging your sub-personas, there's not nearly as much customization going on. And uh, that's pretty interesting. Although I will say mapping is much more easy sorry, much easier in Persona Q because it kind of tells you, it kind of previews where the, where the walls are for you. So you can just take your style and go do-do-do-do-do-do and, and instead of having to like, you know, make sure you're against a wall every time you draw on a line. Uh, but yeah, other than being a little bit difficult at times and I'm starting to kind of get the, the hang of how this difficulty works and how like I need to, to customize my party, uh, I'm, I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit. I finished the first, uh, let's call it the first dungeon. The first stratum, whatever you want to call it. What's funny is that my impression was that the original Persona Q was considerably easier than Etrian Odyssey. Yeah, um, 
I can see why that would be the case because, of course, Etrian Odyssey is, is is dense as hell and it is quite intimidating with how much uh, leeway it gives you to, to customize your party. And if you don't customize the right kind of party, you could, you know, wind up dying. But, um, yeah, it's just it just surprised me, I guess, because I guess because Etrian Odyssey gives you such a, a good outline of what each what each class is and what it does and what its skills are. And so you say to yourself, oh, okay, well, I'll just... Uh, you know, I'll build my party this way, and I have this person can be healing, and this person can be buffing, and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, I guess maybe part of Persona's problem, too, is that I want certain characters in my party, and, and it's like, uh, Haru, now I don't want you, so well, well, I have the heal spell. I don't care. I don't want you in my party. You know what I mean? Hmm. My impression from Persona Q was that the insta-kill spells were really overpowered. Ah. So if you built the right party, you could basically just get through the major content really pretty fast because you would be wiping out entire parties of enemies or most of those parties really, really fast. (laughs) Yeah, I think now that I'm getting more into Persona Q2, I am finding more effective ways to uh, use my personas, my sub-personas as well. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say you can't combine personas right away when you first start the game. You have to wait a little bit. So you have your um, your default personas and a few crummy sub personas, and once you start, you know, being able to mix them and have more control over what your spells are. Like I only just finally got my first insta kill spell, uh, Hama. So uh, now that I have that, yes, I can use it against things like you know, rare personas that give me lots of uh, lots of good items to build with and lots of like you know money to to build stuff with, and I think that counts for a lot. Well, I'm in the process of playing Final Fantasy VII still. Uh, it's become a little bit of an impromptu Final Fantasy VII report, Nadia. <laughs> That's okay with me. I'm okay with that. I think other people are okay with that, too. So I got through the Shinra building, finally. And I had my big fight with Rufus, who <laughs> I love. He's such a douchebag. Oh, he's great. I love that fight. Just on top of the uh, the building with the, the escape helicopter circling. And he has that dog thing that protects him. Yeah, the dog will give him a shield or something like that? Yeah, and I remember that just because the dog's name is Dark Nation. Dark Nation? It's called Dark Nation. I'm like, what the hell is that? I love it. And then when you're fighting Rufus and everything, so the President Shinra has died. Yeah, he's got And stuck. it strikes me that they're doing a lot what they did in Final Fantasy VI, which was... In Final Fantasy VI, they set up Emperor Gestalt to be the main villain with mm. Kafka kind of be there on the side. Right. In this one, President Shinra is the big bad of Midgar. Yes. Which you might call the, the initial arc of Final Fantasy VII. But then, of course, Sephiroth, the true big bad, shows up and kills him. Yes. And the whole sequence in which you are put in jail and then you wake up and there's the trail of blood that you have to follow to get into the office and you see President Shinra has the katana through him and everything and the freaky experiment that you were looking at is gone. I I thought that whole sequence was really well done. Yeah, I think uh, the trail of blood is still creepy as hell combined with the music they have going on in that sequence. Yeah, and this game is really atmospheric. It is. I would go as far as to say it's easily the most atmospheric of all the Final Fantasy games. Yes, I will easily concede to that. Um, That's one thing that struck me when I replayed the game for the first time. Um, 
years and years ago, because of course I played it in 97, then I played it again in like 2000-something, and I'm like, wow, this game's not perfect, but it has atmosphere like hell. And then you, after you beat Rufus, and you get Eris, and you're escaping out of Shinra, there's that really exciting and fun chase with the motorcycle, and everybody gets into... Emily was like, is that like a tuk-tuk? With the little <laughs> truck that everybody else jumps into. Because she's like, why does it have only three wheels? A little European car? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously the motorcycle chase doesn't hold up. I hope that it looks a lot better in Final Fantasy VII Remake if they decide to retain it. Yeah, I think I told you this. Uh, we were recently talking about Akira, the movie on the Slack channel. And that whole sequence is definitely, like all of Final Fantasy VII is Akira, the video game. But that particular sequence is like, oh, okay, they wanted to be the, the opening motorcycle scene with the clowns and, and uh, kind of does ga- uh, gang. So, yeah, that's what that is, I think. And I, yeah, I remember playing that sequence a lot as a kid because I would, you know, you can play it again in the Gold Saucer if you want. But playing it now, I'm like, oh, God, this isn't very good. And I like the little moment at the end of the chase where they're literally at the end of the road in Midgar. <laughs> I love that. I still love that very much. Which is they're kind of at the on the bridge, like looking out and wondering what they do now. That's a that's a great sequence. Yeah, and they're looking out into the distance, and I, I guess it's either twilight or morning is coming. Yeah, and you can see the the lights flashing and everything, and there's kind of this uh, reflective music, and they're like, okay, we got to keep going. Uh, I thought that was really well done as well. Uh, especially since uh, playing for the first time, that's when I was just like blown away to discover, wow, this is only a tiny sliver of the game. Now the world opens up to me. Yeah, it's a big reveal. And uh, one thing, I mean, it was obvious, but I didn't notice. Man, uh, they really are pushing the whole Midgar as a total blight on the world because when you step out of it, it's super dark. <laughs> It's all dark and polluted, and the, the ground around you is like literally like stripped of all life. I think it's interesting that Midgar is just this one gigantic city sitting right there, but then around it is really rural. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Like The next place you visit is, uh, is Calm, which is a very sort of uh, almost like a very European-looking town. Yeah, it's surrounded by a lot of tiny European hamlets, I want to yes. say, with barely any infrastructure no roads etc yeah and um i think that actually ties surprisingly well into the story because if i'm not mistaken this game takes place you know just a handful of years after shinra has kind of conquered the world and they're moving their influence in there really fast so yeah you still have these these towns that are like as we say european and rural but they're talking about new stuff like oh this new Mako reactor they're installing. Oh, Mako makes everything so much more convenient now. And then you get to Calm, and this is where you learn about Sephiroth for the first time because Cloud is having his big flashback. And again, another sequence that is extremely well done because while in some ways it makes the story grind to a halt so that we can get some exposition, I Mm -hmm. think it's really effective exposition because it does a great job of introducing Sephiroth as a character who should be reckoned with and Mm -hmm. seeing his descent into madness is genuinely chilling yes and um i think one of the frankly one of the best bits of story visual storytelling i've seen in final fantasy or maybe any game ever is just that opening where uh you the car the truck hits the, the the green dragon that you're supposed to go kill and 
this green dragon is like, first of all, it's huge. And back then it was like just in- incredible to see big, huge enemy models where we're so used to like sprites and this dragon, you know, one shots usually cloud, whereas Sephiroth takes literally one swipe and it's dead. That's just to me saying, wow, okay, this character is not to be trifled with. That's also the first time you get to see the, the full spells, Fire 3 and Ice 3 and yes. such. And of course he has them. And of course he has them and you're like, whoa, that looks incredible, you know, <laughs> circa 1997 or whatever. I just really liked the entire sequence in, in the mansion, which is mm-hmm. appropriately eerie. And seeing Sephiroth going through all the different books and clearly uh, falling into madness as he realizes just who and what he is. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really well done. You see the books like piling up beside him as like as Cloud kind of narrates how the lights never went out in the mansion after that. Yeah. And then we see that, I guess... Shinra has been creating monsters using Mako? Yeah, it's, um, the problem with the translation in this game is it's not 100% clear, but that does seem to be the implication, and I think Sephiroth is, like, worried that he's also one of those monsters, but he's, he's much sexier than any of the monsters. <laughs> it's the idea that he's supposed to be, are they supposed to be people who are getting overexposed to Mako and turned into monsters? That's the impression I get, and I think at one point I looked at the Final Fantasy wiki for an explanation of this, because of course, uh, I'm sure one of the supplementary games went into it uh, in way too much detail, but yes, I believe like an overexposure to Mako will do that to to you, among other uh, detrimental effects, as you'll learn later in the story, of course. Because they remind me of reverse mermaids. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, they had like the fish on top and the... And then yes. the legs on the bottom. <laughs> it's the wrong way around. <laughs> well, it sure is creepy. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's all... And, of course, the infamous scene in which uh, Nibelheim is on fire, and then you see Sephiroth looking out through the fire and all of that. Uh, oh, yeah. That is also perfectly effective. I uh, I tweeted this, uh, that Final Fantasy VII has been way better than I re- remembered so far. I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, um, every time I play through the game, and I have played through it, like, many times, I I really like it, barring a few parts where I'm like, oh god, this is a terrible idea. But yeah, generally, it's one of my favorite Final Fantasies, and I am vindicated because it's always been one of my favorite Final Fantasies. I do think the combat is a little boring, not because I dislike turn-based, but because I think it's a shade too repetitive, and there's not a lot of tactics or strategy to it. Yeah, I do feel like combat is a step down from Final Fantasy VI, which gave us the character unique skills. Uh, limit breaks aren't really a replacement for those. Yeah, Final Fantasy VI's, VI's combat was almost immediately more interesting than Final Fantasy VII just from the start. Final Fantasy VI kind of forced you to use uh, combat effectively as early as, uh, I think it's one of the first missions in the game where you you beat up one of uh, Sabin's old, uh, old uh, classmates. Uh, and um, you have to use one of his techniques, and if you don't use his technique, you can't win the battle. So that's just a way of teaching you how to use it. Yeah, except they don't teach you how to use the actual command. So I guess you got to look in the manual or something. I got stuck on that for a while, yeah. I was actually on that very segment right now in Final Fantasy VI when I started a new game on Super Nintendo. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, but they didn't tell me what the damn command is. (laughs) Woolsey! I don't know how much more I'm going to keep playing. I might keep playing just so that I have a frame of reference when Remake comes out. That's not a bad idea. 
but I would, if you haven't tried it out on Switch, that's a great place to play it, especially since they fixed the music bug. Yes, they fixed the music bug. Uh, I haven't checked since they fixed it, but uh, I'm glad they did. But Final, if Final Fantasy VII keeps it up, this might actually, it might actually overtake Final Fantasy VIII and become my favorite PlayStation Final Fantasy. Gasp. Yeah, and I might even put it ahead of the uh, the PS2 games because I'm going to be honest, like, I don't think Final Fantasy X has aged all that well, but maybe I need to play that one next. Maybe I'm just going to be on a trip where I play all the Final Fantasy games again rather than, yeah, I don't well. know, finishing Persona 5. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may as well wait for Persona 5 uh, R at the end of the day. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to finish the damn game. <laughs> I'm not starting over, Nani. I've come too far. I guess you have, yeah. It's like, um, yeah, you're several palaces in. You don't want to start over again. I'm probably going to play it all over again, though. All right, let's talk about some Pokemon news. There was a whole mess of Pokemon news that came out last week. I believe it was last Tuesday. And here is some of it. Uh, Pokemon sleep, Nadia. (laughs) Like I said on uh, Twitter, sleep. That's where I'm a Snorlax. So Game Freak isn't content to own you during the day and every other waking hour. No, they got to have you while you're asleep as well. I wonder how this, like, as I understand, this isn't like something you put on your phone, like, directly because uh, research will tell you that, you know, checking your phone before bed is a terrible thing to do for your rhythm, although everyone does it anyway. Uh, It's like a little accessory, isn't it? Like, that it kind of hooks up to your phone. Yeah, it reminds me of a Fitbit kind of situation. Yeah. In which, so I, I have a Fitbit. And it monitors my bodily rhythms or whatever. And in the morning, I can check a little app and it will tell me how much I slept and everything. So I think they're going to do that with Pokemon and they're going to find a way to gamify it. How do you... Okay, I don't have a Fitbit, but like I'm kind of thinking of this in a Pokemon uh, context. I think the footage showed someone putting the little device beside them. Do you have to put the Fitbit and devices like that beside you as you sleep? No, it's on my wrist. Oh, God, how do you sleep with that on your wrist? It's a watch. You don't even notice it after a while. I don't even like to sleep with watches on or my wedding ring. I take all that stuff off. I can't even sleep with socks on. Yeah, so I'm expecting something similar to that. And it reminds me of Iwata's whole uh, push toward healthier living and the bottom. I I forget what they were developing for the Wii. The wellness sensor, was it? (laughs) Yeah, that thing was a bit ahead of its time. But yeah, it was something that you like clip onto your finger. Um... From what I've seen of the footage, it looks more like a, a little disc you put beside you while you sleep. And mm. it's like, okay, well, that's something for my cats to knock over in the middle of the night because they take up the whole <laughs> pillow. Uh, I don't know. I'll give it a shot at least. Uh, but I think they're pushing even further into kind of lifestyle apps, so the lifestyle mm-hmm. app space. And actually, that makes a lot of sense to me for Pokemon because Pokemon is everywhere. It, it the, You're always playing Pokemon now. Yeah, and I mean, Pokemon honestly works well with fitness. Like, Pokemon Go, I still play that all the time. And, of course, there was the, the Pokewalker for uh, Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver, And that was a um, apparently a very, very accurate pedometer. And I think that Pokemon should be encouraging healthier living. I think any video game should be encouraging it. Next, it's going to be, you're going to have a Pokemon app for your diet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to get, like, shamed by Pikachu every day. Just wanting to eat. You just put in your calories... And if you put in, if you manage to stay under your calories and you're getting the right nutrients and everything, you get rarer and rarer Pokemon. 
I was going to say, like, if you, like, okay, if you take in way too many calories, you, your little uh, character on screen turns into, like, a, a grump pig or a spoink. My problem is that there would probably be some kind of score for protein, and as a pescatarian, I don't get nearly enough protein. Oh, yeah, that's, um, I know, that of course, it's possible to get, like, enough protein when you have that kind of diet, but you probably have to really work at it. So more pertinent, perhaps, to our audience is a little thing called Pokemon Home which is a cloud-based solution for Pokemon Sword and Shield, which, very interesting, it connects Pokemon Bank, Pokemon Let's Go, and Pokemon Go all under one umbrella. So, effectively, what I'm gathering for Pokemon Home is with Pokemon Go, you'll be able to transfer monsters over to your Sword and Shield game, much Mm -hmm. like you could in Let's Go. Makes sense. And that will be how you round out your collection, perhaps? I wrote, I don't know if you remember, but I wrote a guide for how to transfer Pokemon uh, across various platforms, including some of the older platforms. And this is a real song and dance. So even going back to the days when we had to use a, a cable to trans- to do basic transfers, and uh, you had to, like, hope you didn't, you know, nickname your Pokemon a bunch of stupid things like I did, because there was not even a picture to tell you which Pokemon you were trading over. Um, yeah, just going to this whole cloud-based stuff is, is just crazy. It's a good way to get allow people to be able to get legendaries and things that would maybe ordinarily only be given away during special events over to Sword and Shield relatively quickly. And then, of course, Pokemon Let's Go, uh, it will tie into that. So it will provide a bridge for people who got into Pokemon Let's Go and lets them go straight over to Sword and Shield. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of bonus or special... Like, if you transfer your Pikachu or Eevee from Let's Go, they'll have special abilities or something. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I could see a lot of these sort of uh, transfer bonuses happening. By connecting to Pokemon Bank, this is basically showing that this is the way that you're going to get your monster from Sun and Moon and all the way back to Ruby and Sapphire over to your copy of Sword and Shield. So that would be the transfer solution. But here's the deal. Because Pokemon Home is not coming out until 2020... Once again, with Sword and Shield, your Pokemon collection will not be available right away. Nope, probably not. But at least when it's available, uh, I can bring good old Nakamura into Pokemon Sword and Shield. What's your thoughts on that, Nadia? Do you want to be able to transfer your collection immediately, or do you wish, or are you fine with just waiting? I'm very much a waiter. I am not the kind of person who gets too attached to her old Pokemon. Uh, again, my Incineroar Nakamura is the exception. I love him and everything about him. But uh, otherwise, I am always fine with just like seeing what a new game has to offer. And, uh, you know, I, I always like trying out the new starter to like, you know, hunting for the n- new Pokemon. Uh, the only exception is if there isn't a Growlithe or an Arcanine, I'm going to have to bring that over, obviously, and I'm going to have to, like, you know, throw have a Riot if that's not available from the start. But, yeah, otherwise I'm fine with just uh, trying out the new stuff right away. I'm the opposite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pokemon Sun and Moon was the first game in which I did not properly raise a Pokemon and in many years. And mm. a lot of that was down to, so I got through the entire game. I enjoyed it. had a great time. And I think that I would have kept playing and continued to be into it if I had been able to transfer my entire collection immediately. Right. But I could not. Right. And as a consequence, I immediately lost all momentum. By the time that Pokemon Bank, finally the 
the the it actually happened and I picked it up again and was ready to get back into it. I was like, eh, but I, I'm not really wanting to. So I moved on. Yeah, with my life. It, it took a while for it to be available in Sun and Moon, didn't it? Yeah, like months. I yeah. don't think it became available until February or March of 2017. So yeah, that's that's quite a long time. Hopefully, it doesn't take that long. Yeah, I think it will. <laughs> Unfortunately, I guess there's just so many bugs you have to work out. I would say that maybe the best is uh, the best reason to do it is I mean, obviously, it forces people to get engaged with the monsters that are in the game rather than just transferring in all of their old guys. Ah, and also. If you play the game for a bit and then you set it down, this is a great way to refresh the game and make people want to get back into it. That is true. Yeah, so you got a good point. I know it didn't really work on you, but I'm sure it worked on some people. Another thing that they announced was Pokemon Masters, which is their collaboration with DNA. Mm -hmm. And this looks like a Gachapon game, Nadia, because it it looks more like a traditional Pokemon game than some of their other mobile efforts. Uh, It has pretty impressive graphics. It has... Seemingly all of the trainers from previous games, and they're also controlling monsters. And so it seems to me that either you're rolling and getting trainers from the various games from over the years, gym leaders, champions, Mm -hmm. rivals, uh, regular trainers. I wouldn't be surprised if their bronze and silver variants were basically... You know, the kid who loves shorts. <laughs> you get the Okay, if you don't want to pay up, you get the kid who loves shorts, and you get Joey and his ratata. Yeah, exactly. So if you're just... Those are the... That's the garbage that you just get back that you're just <laughs> kind of here. throwing away. Or Poor maybe Joey. they're your starters. Uh-huh. Whereas you got to put in, say, $150 to get blue from Pokemon Red and Blue. Yeah, I noticed their uh, the key art they have for that game is very smart because it has all the cool trainers up front. You have, like, Older Red, who I think is pretty cool. Uh, you have Older Blue in the um, in the trailer for the game, which I also who I also think is really cool. I think he and Red are married, but anyway. Um, I They're saw... just friends, Nadia. They're best buddies. They're traveling the world. Don't even, don't even question it, okay? <laughs> They're traveling the world. Just, you know, happen to be together traveling the world. Um, I saw Lance, who was my very favorite, and yeah, I would like to spend money to get Lance. Claire is my favorite. Claire. Claire is from... She one? is the eighth gym leader in Pokemon Gold and Silver, and oh. she is either dating Lance or his protege. Oh, okay. I remember her now, and yes, you're right. Um, she has yeah. a dragon air. Uh, she has the cool blue anime hair. She... <laughs> She she was cool. She's your first example of a drink dragon gym leader. Right. Isn't Lance the first? No, Lance was the Elite Four. He was an elite gym leader. Right. He was a member of the Elite Four. So I'm curious to see how they handle the the trainer pa- aspect versus the Pokemon aspect. Like, will trainers have Pokemon built in that they're able to use? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm also intrigued by this game because uh, we do have a lot of mobile Pokemon games, but most of them are like, you know, oh, here's a puzzle game, or here's a game where you don't do anything at all and just let things happen, or, you know, you have Pokemon Go, which is also kind of passive. But this is a game that's actually about Pokemon battles. I think that maybe a better way to do it might have been to just have the Pokemon be in the Gashapon aspect, but maybe they didn't want too much overlap with Pokemon Go. So Yeah. 
That's why yeah. you have the actual trainers, which I suppose that makes sense. And then you can dress them up, and you can have special like uh, wedding wedding dress blue and wedding dress ash. <laughs> why are they wedding ready wearing wedding dresses? Don't ask. It's a <laughs> Gaspon no game. <laughs> they just wanted to try it out. And then uh, beach misty. They're, they'll have the beach theming. Of course they will. Yeah, and which will include special surfing Pikachu. Yeah, that'd be really cute, actually. And then I'd have to like dress up Lance, and he'd refuse because he's Lance, and he's too cool for that. He's like, I gotta have my cape. I'm like, no, no, you gotta put on the funny costume now. And they'll do winter and Easter costumes, so they'll be wearing bunny costumes and have special abilities. I, I'm pulling this all from Fire Emblem Heroes. I have like 50 different variants of certain characters. There's the holiday variant and the summer <laughs> variant, and the- <laughs> and you keep buying them. And they keep drawing for them. People keep drawing for them. That's why they do it. Anyway, I'm in trouble, Nadia, because this game is my weakness, and I'm totally going to play it. I'm going to play it oh, way I'm, I'm too much. Oh, I'm absolutely going to play it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play it. still playing too. Fire Emblem Heroes. I can't stop. Yeah, you got a problem. I do have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> At least you admit it. All right, last news item. Uh, Larian has a big old three on their website, and people are, uh, I imagine that we are going to learn whatever the heck this is during E3. Larian, of course, is the studio that developed Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2, uh, games that I would consider the co-top 25 RPG. They're, they're like, I think they're some of the newest games on this entire list. Uh, Divinity mm-hmm. Original Sin came out. I think in 2015, 2014, and Divinity Original Sin 2 came out about a couple years ago at this point. So, And I feel like we've criminally undercovered these amazing games that have become some of the best RPGs of the entire generation. But Alarian has managed to get a lot of traction as a studio. And now the theory is that they're making Baldur's Gate 3, which was a rumor that got... Well, they denied a few months ago, but... Mm. Uh, I guess there was metadata or something in the website that suggested that there would be Baldur's Gate 3. So uh, I guess we'll see, right? Yeah, we will definitely see. Um, I should actually text a, a really good friend of mine who was like so into Baldur's Gate that she like took a trip to uh, Iceland, which I guess is related somehow. I forget how. I only accept Baldur's Gate 3 if they find out how to get some kind of rodent pet in there again. <laughs> Maybe they will for you. All right. So speaking of E3, let's continue on to our big E3 2019 preview. So don't go away. So Nadia, I think the first question that I need to ask is looking ahead to what we're expecting for E3, especially from an RPG standpoint, how excited are you for this year's show on a scale of 1 to 5? Oh, I'd say, I don't know, maybe a 3.5, 4-ish? Well, it's like I'm excited for Pokemon Sword and Shield, and I'm excited for the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I'm excited for some surprise that we're going to get. I always feel like there's just a, a cool surprise going on. Um, and I feel like I would keep my expectations around a four-ish. I won't be disappointed. <laughs> my expectations are, I, I think I'm at a five at this point. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty yeah. hot. Yeah, I think I, I'm kicking myself for not going to this one, or at least not going there for long. I'm only going to yeah. be there for a day. Neither of us are going to be there, and it's kind of the E3 that was meant for us. Yeah, I mean, between Pokemon and Final Fantasy VII Remake... And the new console announcement. I mean, and right. Jedi Fallen Order. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, it is a, it is a hell of a one to miss. <sighs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of good stuff at this one. Yeah, it's sad. And who knows, this might be the last one. For E3, you think so? <laughs> nah. <laughs> but I do think that E3 is definitely on the decline. And, I mean, it's really telling that Sony isn't going to be there, has literally no presence, and they are releasing a major game this year, which is Death Stranding, which traditionally would be shown in detail at E3 and is not being shown at all. Yeah, um, although for a show that's supposedly on the decline, it always keeps us hopping every year. Yeah, but Sony finally figured out that all you had to do was put out an eight-minute trailer for Death Stranding, and that's all you needed to do to own an entire news cycle. Pretty much. They did really well on that, and not to mention, they uh, apparently that's one of their most watched trailers of all time. Yeah, so why bother? So, like, if they had done that during E3, they would have had to contend with all the noise around, like, Pokemon and mm-hmm. and Microsoft and all that. And yeah, sure, you would have had a lot of eyeballs, but you're going to get a lot of eyeballs anyway because you're Sony. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Nintendo really nailed down the formula with the directs, and everyone said they were crazy at first, but no, they were right. Yeah, I don't think Nintendo needs to have a booth there anymore. I mean, why even bother? You got your Nintendo directs? I guess because they always have a, they always have enough hype for like say like Mario Odyssey that they have people lining up outside the booth to to try it and that's always good press. I guess that is a good image of having people going completely nuts uh, for these games. Yeah, pretty much. Um, that's why I'm actually surprised that we don't see uh, like a Sony booth, like even if, if it's a smaller booth. They've been scaling back their presence for a few years now. I mean. I mean, for example, they had a big booth last year where Mm -hmm. with lots of kiosks where people could try out new games and everything. But as for new demos, they tend to be pretty cagey about their big stuff. They'll only show there's, you know, PSVR games. They were showing Tetris Effect. Maybe they'll give you a little bit of a hands-on with a game like Spider-Man or Horizon Zero Dawn, but not much, not much of one. So... Uh, I feel like they've been kind of stepping back a little bit as opposed to doing these huge blowout presentations for the media. Yeah, they definitely didn't just like kind of drop it all at one go. Though I, you got to say like some of Sony's, you could argue that Sony won the generation on the back of E3 because their E3 2013 press conference where they introduced the PS4 was one of the all-time greats. I mean, they just completely shut down Microsoft in one fell swoop. It was one of the... <laughs> they did. That must have been the easiest uh, press conference for them ever. It was one of the damnedest things I've ever seen to this day. I I actually gasped out loud when they uh, revealed the price point and just started going point by point dunking on Microsoft with each one. (laughs) It was amazing. I could not believe it. They just left Microsoft as a flaming ruin by the roadside and Microsoft never recovered. It was very, very much a repeat of, God, I can't remember what year it was when they revealed the price of the PlayStation and just kind of dunked on Sega and destroyed them because Sega was like, the Saturn's out now and it's three ninety nine. And I think Sony came to the Microsoft, came to the microphone and said two ninety nine, And <laughs> it was, it was great. What year was that? Someone will, will tell me what it year it was. It would have been 96. Yeah. yeah okay, no, 96, earlier than that. Earlier yeah, than 96 that. or 95. Yeah, it was 95 when they came out because right because the Saturn came out early 95 and that was the stealth launch yes and the PlayStation came out several months later and that that was the moment that basically sunk Sega's console business it it was over after that yeah it was never the same after that and just it was not a good move on Sega's part on any level 
Yeah, retailers were so pissed that when it came to time for the Dreamcast a few years later, like a lot of them would not even stock it, like period. Yeah, they really burned a lot of bridges. Sure did. Sega. So, but speaking of new consoles, so one of the probably the biggest story of this upcoming E3 is that we are expected to get our first look at Microsoft's brand new Xbox. And for RPG fans, I mean, there are rumors that Playground Games is working on a reboot of Fable. Hmm. And while that is unlikely to be at the show, what I want you what I want to ask you, Nadia, is do you think Fable can be on the level of a game like The Witcher uh, in terms of an exclusive for Microsoft? Uh, in terms of like uh, like the, the sales and the buzz it would generate or the kind of yes. gameplay? I'm talking about sales and buzz. Um, I suppose it's possible, although it's been so long since, I don't want to say Microsoft isn't relevant or anything like that, but it's been so long since they've been like the force that they were back in the 360 era that uh, I feel like first they would kind of have to build themselves back up and say, hey, we're a major player again, because I'm looking at my, you're talking about, oh, new Xbox, I'm looking at my Xbox uh, uh, One right now and just the, the layer of dust covering it, and it's like, oh, yeah, Xbox, yep. Yeah, I only ever play my Switch these days. <laughs> I play my Switch and my PS4, and that's all I really need because it's not like the Xbox has a ton of great exclusives. But that could very well change with this with this system reveal come E3. What do you think that Microsoft needs to get right with this console announcement? Uh, don't be cocky, and I think they've been taken down a few pegs, so they're not going to be too cocky. Uh, they need to have a decent price. They need to have, I think, exclusives are the most important thing. I think that, yes, maybe they're not the, the force they are now, but if they did have, hey, here's a Fable remake and it looks really good and it plays really well, I think that could be a major thing for them. Maybe not Witcher 3 level, but it would certainly be something. If they had something like that and, you know, a little bit more of that going into this year, uh, they could um, they could have quite the press conference. I think that they need to be games focused with their new console. I Very they need much to so. come out with good specs. They need to have the right price point. I wouldn't yes. even announce a price point at E3. Like I Probably don't make not. that the discussion. Let leave that for later. You mm-hmm. don't want people focusing on the discussion. You want them focusing on the games. And I think that you need at least one big splashy game. And I don't think it has to even be an exclusive. If you can get a game revealed at that particular press conference, that's what you want. Thinking about it, I wonder how much this console generation of reveals will change because it seems like the past few were always so focused on making uh, game platforms multimedia, which I, you know, use you know as well as I have uh, as I do when just kind of sitting through press conferences about oh we can you know, our new console can access YouTube and this and that and that's like which is great, but I care about the games, not the YouTube. And just given how successful the Switch has been without like any of that sort of thing for it, I wonder if, yes, we will see press conferences that focus on games now instead of like 10,000 apps that we don't care about. Well, you look back at how they Microsoft launched the Xbox One. I remember in 2013 watching that reveal and oh, God, seeing yeah. them talk all about how they were going to be focused around the living room. And yes. making a huge deal about how you could plug it into your cable box and everything. And I remember thinking at the time that felt dated. And this was before the true streaming explosion, right? 
people were already moving further and further away from their living rooms by that time. Cord cutting was definitely becoming a thing. And Microsoft badly, badly, badly miscalculated in trying to, as you said, turn it into a multimedia machine and also to focus around the, the Xbox around the Kinect, assuming that, oh well, well, we're just going to outwee the Wii. We're going to be... <laughs> We're going to be this version. We're going to be this generation's version of the Wii. I think that's what they were going for. We're going right, to we're going to appeal to the people who bought a Wii. We're going to appeal to the people who bought uh, who, the hardcore gamers who were dissatisfied with the Wii. It'll be a win-win. And instead, all they get, did was get completely mired in talk about uh, you know the Kinect and all of their stupid cable thing. And of course, their always online requirements, which was a huge disaster. And that was the fact that it was too expensive and yes. it wasn't as powerful as the PS4. And <laughs> the PS4 was able to just come in and clean their clock with a very traditional system. Was um was that the year that they brought in Cirque du Soleil? Was it? Oh man, I totally believe it. <laughs> I don't it, remember. It, it, it. I just remember everyone hating that so much. And, like, that was when I first heard about, like, Jim Sterling because he's being interviewed. And someone said, like, you know, and to, uh, someone asked Jim, what would you like to see, you know, for the rest of uh, this E3? And he said, I'd like to see, I would like to see Cirque du Soleil get buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't at that E3, actually. That was in a very brief period in which I was not in the games press. So I was watching it entirely as a civilian. So maybe that... That gave me slightly clearer eyes, I think, about how the Xbox was being covered. On the other hand, I was also in the middle of all the comments and, you know, NeoGAF yes. and Reddit and, oh, the gamer outrage. Oh, the gamer oh, outrage. There was a ton to go around. Yes, there was. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's any lesson to be drawn from that, it's that a really bad E3 can and a really bad reveal can completely sink your console for an entire generation. Absolutely. And I think even though, as you say, we don't have that sort of clout behind E3 anymore, I think it's still the case. So a few things that I'm kind of expecting from Microsoft, I expect that they're going to make a big deal about the whole cloud functionality. Yeah, it's going to be a thing um, without really being able to answer questions about how they're going to deal with infrastructure. Microsoft is obsessed with always online, and this is how they're finally going to be able to do it. Yes, but they're not going to call it always online, of course. Yeah, well, no. Uh, if they're smart. <laughs> yeah, if they're smart, we'll find out. Well, Phil Spencer seems a little smarter than Phil Harrison, so I think he'll do okay. Phil Harrison is Google's problem now. <laughs> Good luck to Google. Good luck to Google on that and front. Stadia. Another thing that I'm kind of expecting, I'm expecting Microsoft to continue to make a big deal about its connections to Nintendo Switch and PS4, of all things. Specifically... Mm-hmm. Uh, Xbox Live Gold and such being available on those consoles. Maybe not PS4, but definitely Switch. Definitely Switch, as well they should, because that is actually quite a big deal. And, you know, my 90s self can never foresee this kind of this kind of world we live in where everyone's just, like, trading uh, ideas like this. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, and I think that we're going to see more former Microsoft exclusives, specifically Indies, being announced for a Nintendo Switch, games like Ori and the Blind Forest and that kind of definitely. thing? Definitely. Yeah, I definitely see uh, Ori and the Blind Forest, maybe even the, the second one, Will of the Wisps. And we just saw that the Xbox Game Pass was announced for PC. So, again, yeah. uh, Microsoft is trying to basically be platform agnostic. It really is, which isn't the worst strategy, really. 
in terms of RPGs, I I have some ideas about what might be shown at Microsoft's press conference. I'm not going to share them here. I don't think that we're going to see Fable. Uh, I expect that if anything ends up kind of headlining uh, Playground Games, there's maybe one game that is an RPG, but I'm not going to say it. And the other might be Halo Infinite. I was going to say, how about Eternal Sonata 2? <laughs> New Blue Dragon, come on. Oh man, Tales of Vesperia. We can go back to 2006. Blue Dragon 2. Blue Dra- Was there a 2 for Blue Dragon or it never happened? There was at least it? a spinoff. There was one that came off that's for the what PS. I'm of. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, have like Jack Black sing that boss song again? Yeah. Hell, let's go back to 2006, man. We're nostalgic it's for just, it already. It just speaks to the unpopularity of the 360 that freaking Hironobu Sakaguchi put out a Dragon Quest ripoff and they still and it still didn't sell that well on the 360. Yeah, and it had Akira Toriyama's art and it just did not go anywhere. Yeah, it wasn't that good a game, to be fair. I never played it. I haven't but I never played it. You should play it because I bet you would like it, actually. It's, it's a very traditional RPG. I might give it a try sometime. And like I said, you have that like Jack Black uh, boss song. So what the hell? That and uh, Lost Odyssey. Those are the two 360 RPGs that kind of have been lost to time. So but to speak. Outside of Microsoft new console, I mean, Final Fantasy VII Remake will be at the show. Um, yeah. At the very least, we know that it will be shown at Square Enix's press conference. Uh, it will be getting a whole bunch of time along with the Avengers. This is the moment we've been waiting for, Nadia. We've been waiting for this for four years at this point. <laughs> Good lord. Yes, we have. I believe it was Jason Schreier who said that episode one will be out in early 2020, which mm-hmm. is tracks roughly what, if, what I have heard. And I have to ask, what are your hopes for the reveal, Nadia? Uh, I hope to find out uh, how long this episode is. Like, will it go to the end of Midgar? Will it stop before that? When are the next episodes coming out? Please don't make us wait four more years for the next one, which I don't think they will, but paranoia. What does Tifo look like? We don't know yet. We'll find out, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, I want to see more characters uh, aside from Tifa, like Sid and Red 13 and that kind of thing. Maybe the Turks. It would be nice to see the Turks. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the Turks will look like. And uh, they'll probably look fine because actually the Turks are popular characters in the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. The Turks are popular characters in general, and I hope they get more screen time in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, they're kind of funny. Uh, I like I like them. One thing that always made me a little sad was that the Turks were great, but they were never that strong in the game. So I hope that they're more formidable so that they can live up to their fearsome reputation. Yeah, you're right. They're they're supposed to be like these like major assassins. And they do all the wet work for Shinra, but they're real pushovers. Yeah, totally. All the boss battles with Rude and all of that, really easy. Sang and Rude and um, who's the guy with the, the red hair? Oh, that's Reno. Reno. Yes, Reno, yeah. Rude. And then there's a new recruit, the, the girl. Alina, I think her name is. Yeah. I mean, I like their little story. It's fun, but... Yeah. And I love the dynamic. And honestly, I would play a spinoff starring just them, and I know one... I think one came out for the mobile game, for mobile, a long time ago. Yeah, I think uh, something like Before Crisis or something like that. Uh, I think Red 13 was part of that one as well. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So one thing that I would like to get a look at is I want to see how far this remake ventures into Wacky Town. (laughs) <laughs> will cross be will cloud be cross-dressing uh, that is a question for me 
Yes, and will he be able to visit the Honey Bee Inn? I, I don't think they will, because I think they want to be taken seriously. But yes. if they don't do it, if they don't do uh, the wall market and everything, I think something essential will be lost. Yeah, I feel like the cross-dressing will survive because I don't think that Square Enix is above dunking on Cloud in his serious manner. Uh, Square Enix does occasionally dunk on their serious characters, like I've mentioned Dissidia, the second game, where Laguna basically takes uh, Squall down a peg and uh, makes fun of him. But uh, I could see that happening. But the Honeybee Inn was so weird. Like, I went to it once and I said, I, I just saw that. I have no reason to go back here ever again. I never did. So there is a scene, once Cloud is all dressed up and everything, you're put in a, if you don't manage to get picked by Don Corneo, you get put into a room with a oh. whole lot of dudes. Yeah, they are very, um, as you say, the implications are, are not good. And that's a scene I actually replayed recently. I went to the, the room of shame because I couldn't be bothered, like, getting the perfume or whatever the hell I was supposed to do. And yeah, it's very much implied that uh, what's going to happen next is not good. Yeah, and they're all kind of walking at him like zombies and kind of played for laugh. <laughs> yeah, which it's like, um, I'm kind of glad I have a sword now. And then they do the whole, um, he sheds the dress and everybody is surprised. And, uh, man, that's going to be hard to carry off with uh, uh, in a full-blown remake. I got to say that much. Maybe, I think that if they tried to recreate that scene, they would get a whirl of shit. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, absolutely, they should. And um, mm. I even think Japan, even though Japan is kind of behind when it comes to that sort of thing and, like, being... Uh, I just think that, like, even though we, you know, Japan still tends to play that kind of thing for laughs a little bit, they're not nearly as bad as they used to be. I'm curious to see how far they venture into Wacky Town, and I'm interested to see the battle system and whether or not it's going to be kind of a boring hack and slash if there's going to be more tactical how much uh, how does the magic and the material work this time around and i expect that we're going to get a fairly in-depth reveal on that front as well yes i'm definitely looking forward to all of that i think it is going to be like the information deluge for final fantasy 7 remake and it's about damn time yeah i mean we've been waiting for this for a long time and honestly, replaying Final Fantasy VII, the original, for Switch is making me more excited to play Remake. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely, like, I, I have, like, a, a really more of a perspective of what to expect from the remake, uh, which reminds me, uh, I don't know if they're going to tell us this at E3 or not, but, oh god, what are they going to do about the Fort Condor minigame? It's terrible. <laughs> what are they going to do about the minigames in general? I mean, are They're they going terrible. to keep them? <laughs> right? I mean, are they going yeah. to keep the, the motorcycle chase and the snowboarding game, which was actually pretty fun? And I did like snowboarding. The squat minigame? <laughs> the squat minigame, the, uh, the CPR minigame, the stupid dolphin minigame. <sighs> the submarine minigame. What the hell was up with that thing? Like, y you'll probably get to it at some point, but playing it uh, replaying it like I did recently, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's a pain in the ass because um, that sub has a piece of like giant materia. And if you don't get all the giant materia, you can't get the Bahamut Zero summon, which is the most badass Final Fantasy summon ever. Don't at me. Man, there's... Oh, yeah, that's another question. How are they going to handle summons? Oh, God, no skipping allowed. Uh, I think there are a lot of questions to be answered, but I'm glad that we are finally happening... I don't know what's more surprising, Final Fantasy VII Remake coming out relatively soon by all accounts, 
or Death Stranding getting an announced for 2019. I I don't <laughs> yeah. know which one I'm more surprised by. I am I am honestly surprised that Death Stranding is coming in 2019. That just blows my mind. I thought for sure this is going to be one of those games where you see the teasers like every year and it's it just it's a fairy tale. I thought maybe 2020. Because just of how Kojima operates, and it seems like he has an unlimited budget and latitude to do whatever the heck he wants. But no, it's coming out. It's coming out in the fall. Or yeah, it's coming out in November. So it's like, okay. And same with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Going into 2019, like in January 2019, if you had told me Death Stranding is coming out this year and Final Fantasy VII Remake will be out roughly this time in 2020, I'd be like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there. it just goes to show anything is possible in this universe. Yep. Okay, another big game that will be at E3, Cyberpunk 2077. Nadia, what do you think of Cyberpunk? Do you have any interest in this game? Uh, I don't know. Um, first of all, when it comes to CD Projekt Red, I'm terribly behind. I want to play Witcher 3 very much. I will play it. But... It's like, first of all, when it comes to cyberpunk, I'm very picky to begin with. And just going by the previews we've seen and the videos we've seen, there's a whole lot of like, it just strikes me as trying very, very hard to be cool and edgy. And uh, I could be totally wrong. I probably am totally wrong. But just the little bit we saw, I, I wasn't necessarily enthralled. It's basically an updated Deus Ex, it sure seems like. But with an open yeah. world, kind of uh, like a, a expanded open world. Um, and that Witcher and that CD project writing that we've all come to expect. So I, I'm excited for it. And I think that it will be really good. Uh, it's disappointing that apparently it will not be hands-on. Oh, it won't be. Yeah, that's right. It won't be, will it? Yes. And oh. it's not coming out this year, according to Jason Schreier, but that's not surprising. Not surprising, yeah at all i was not expecting it to come out this year i mean maybe i entertained some hopes that it would come out this year but you all yeah you always have to have that hope that doesn't seem like cd projects mo i think they'd rather put it out in the spring kind of like what they did witcher 3 yeah um although i don't know what what i've seen of witcher 3's writing seems infinitely better than cyberpunk's just from my angle one thing that i am interested to see will it be confirmed for next gen Last year, a lot of people were looking at it and thinking, this might look a little too nice for current gen. This might be running on next-gen hardware. Right. And we are very much getting to that point where we can expect games to straddle that line and have both uh, both generations uh, serviced. I would also hope that it is being played on the new Xbox and that we can get a good look at it on that platform. Oh, now that would be a good idea for Microsoft. It would be. I think that it is a clear win if Microsoft manages to get Cyberpunk to appear at its press conference and ties it closely to the new Xbox. Mm-hmm. That would be very smart of them. Okay. And finally, Pokemon. Pokemon Yay. looks to be a big part of this show's, at least at the Nintendo Direct. Uh, Pokemon traditionally hasn't been part of E3, not really. Uh, Pokemon mm-hmm. Let's Go kind of broke the mold last year and was actually playable. So I have to ask, what does this version of Pokemon need to prove, Nadia? I feel like it needs to... uh, It's funny because I think that one thing Pokemon fans really, really want is to see that we're going to have like a a more robust single-player experience. And I don't know if there's any way they can prove that over E3. Maybe they'll tell us. I don't know. 
Um, I really liked Pokemon Sun and Moon's single player. I liked that they did change it up a bit. But Sword and Shield seems to be returning to the traditional gyms and stuff, so I'm... I'm curious to see if this sort of backsliding has a purpose. Uh, of course, sometimes Game Freak does things because they just do things, as we know. But uh, kind of still a little disappointed they got rid of the encounters on screen. Uh, a little bit disappointed that gyms are back. But for all I know, it could all be fine and great and dandy. And I guess that's what I want to see for out of Pokemon this E3. I want to see that it's up to snuff on Switch. I yes. want him to show that they are creating a full console-sized experience because, mm-hmm. like it or not, people are going to be comparing it to the biggest RPGs that come out this year. Pokemon's competition is no longer stuff that's on the 3DS. It is Witcher 3 and other games yes. that are coming out. Um, I think a question mark is graphics. I think that the in some ways the graphics were very nice and some ways the graphics really were not nice. And I hope that they've really given... Uh, a, a nice round of polish for the mm-hmm. next showing um, of this upcoming Pokemon game. What, um, see, I liked, what I liked most was uh, how it's kind of an uneven world. Like, you finally have things like hills and, and stuff like that. I, I think it, the landscape looks really nice. What kind of fell flat for you? Uh, definitely the ground terrain textures, which look like they're from the GameCube era. <laughs> I mean, look at it during the battles and look how bad the grass textures are. They are not good. Right. Yeah. So something like that. I could definitely see something like that, you know, being added later. So yes, this would be the show to prove, hey, what you saw was just an early build. Here's what, you know, you can look forward to this fall. I remember Pokemon Let's Go not looking great around E3 and Mm -hmm. looking much better by the time release came around. So I do think it'll get that extra layer of polish. It probably will. Yeah. One thing I'm definitely going to be asking about, as always, Endgame. Will it have good single-player Endgame? What are they going to do with online? I think Nintendo's online has been a bit of a shit show. I mean, we had um, your Mario Maker 2 coverage went up earlier this week, and it was confirmed that you will only be able to play with randoms online. You will not be able to play friends. I mean, if Pokemon's... Online play is as limited on the Switch as it is on the 3DS. I think that will be a huge lose. Yeah. Um, although I remember, I seem to remember later Pokemon games on the 3DS having some some fun stuff. Like I remember being on the subway once and just kind of playing Pokemon battles with someone there. That was kind of cool. But yeah, um, Pokemon, uh, sorry, Nintendo Online, Nintendo Switch Online has been just like, not that we're paying much for it, but you know, we're still paying something. Please give us something, Nintendo. I mean, it's not like Pokemon didn't have any online components at all. I mean, it had mm-hmm. events and mystery gifts, and there would be you know online competitions that in which you could battle against people and that thing kind of thing. But the regular kind of random matchmaking has really never been that great, and has tended to That's be true. fairly painfully limited. I would like expanded. Uh, first of all, I would like a reason to be able to play online. Um, right. Uh, you know, rewards for playing online, uh, in-game tournaments, um, any way that you can make the random matchmaking a lot more interesting, I want to say. I would like them to dramatically expand the customization. And I, traditionally, I feel like the barrier of entry to their online play has been a little high, so I'd like them to lower that for the Switch version. They've done a lot of 
interesting things over the years. Um, one of my favorite examples is in Black 2, White 2 had Join Avenue, in mm-hmm. which if you connected with somebody online or locally, their avatar would come to your city and potentially even open up a shop, which I yes. loved. I thought that was a brilliant idea, and I hope they have that for the Switch as well. I love that kind of stuff that they when they have it in games like uh, like Dragon Quest Nine's in. I love that in, like that where you, like you join people where you'd meet people and they join your in. Like it, it's a small thing, but you're right. It kind of gives you this sense of like community. As for the other RPGs that will be at E3 2019, uh, one that stands out to me is Fire Emblem uh, Three yeah. Houses, which will in all probability have a big part play at Nintendo's booth since it is coming out this summer. Uh, we talked yes. a little bit about Three Houses when some information got revealed on Famitsu. I confess to be a little ambivalent because I don't know where the heck they are taking this thing. Right, but I'm sure we'll find out by E3. How about you, Nadia? Are there other RPGs that you're really excited to see during E3? Uh, I would like to see a little bit more of Link's Awakening, which is more of an action RPG, but... Uh, it's I, not I an RPG, like Nadia. Gah! We had this whole well, discussion. I, <laughs> I'm mentioning it now. I want to see Link's Awakening. I don't care if it's an RPG. It's close enough. It's an RPG to me, damn it. And I want to see it at E3. Uh, I want to see uh, a surprise. Like I said, I always like nice surprises. I would like to see a surprise as well. I would love to come out of E3 not expecting a particular announcement and being like, oh, I am so pumped for this uh, exactly. this game. Insert game here. Yes, those are always the best E3s. I totally agree. Uh, another uh, thing to keep an eye out on is Oninaki, which is the new RPG by Tokyo RPG Factory. I uh, did not have a lot of expectations for this one, but when they showed the initial trailer, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good looking this time. Okay, maybe they seem to have stepped up the production values and maybe the game will be better this time around. Well, God bless them. They keep on trying. <laughs> uh, Shenmue 3 will be at this uh, E3, Nadia. Eh great (laughs) good for Shenmue complete lack of enthusiasm on that from Monster Hunter World Iceborne is getting a big showing at Capcom Mm -hmm. Uh, might be a good time for me to get back into Monster Hunter I don't know yes Nadia it is always a good time to get back into Monster Hunter Cat wants to turn everyone to filthy addicts (laughs) and Vampire the Masquerade which uh, I don't think has been getting as maybe as much coverage as it should have been because but i think it has a lot of promise and if they really knock it out of the park it could be a really exciting and great remake or update not sequel i suppose of one of our top 25 rpgs the original vampire the masquerade so yeah i was gonna ask is this one like i wasn't 100 percent clear if it's a remake a update um a sequel it's a sequel or something else okay It's in a totally different location this time around. Instead of L.A., it's going to be in Seattle. Uh, But it it borrows some elements from the original Bloodlines. Like, it starts the same way. But All right, some questions for E3, Nadia. Will there be an Assassin's Creed? And I ask this because Assassin's Creed is an RPG now. Uh, I guess it is, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure about Assassin's Creed. Uh, Maybe another Watch Dogs? Will Starfield or Elder Scrolls VI get a mention? We know that they won't be at E3. Uh, I can see Starfield getting a mention. Uh, Elder Scrolls Six, probably not. I have a feeling they don't want Elder Scrolls Six to overshadow Starfield. Maybe Starfield, probably not Elder Scrolls Six. 
And and when I say mention, I mean, I don't know, we might get a teaser? If that. I don't think either of them are going to have much of a presence, because I think Bethesda doesn't really want to talk about them right now. I think they want to rather be talking about Doom. Yeah, definitely. Does Bethany Esda have a press conference this year? Yes. Okay. So that's where we would see something if we saw anything. Nadia, as you may know, Square Enix is putting out an Avengers game. Do you think it will be an RPG? So Square Enix and Avengers. I completely forgot that they were working on that. Will it be an RPG? Um, well, Square Enix, so I suppose it's, it's very possible. That'd be interesting. I heard that it might... So here, here's a comparison that I heard that I think is... I'm trying to kind of work out in my head still. Kind of tracks with what people were saying, which is uh, at the E3 Coliseum presentation, it was supposedly going to be a four-player cooperative game with single-player elements. I heard it compared to Overwatch. Really? That's yeah. uh, That's weird. Okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if it turned out to be actually something more akin to Destiny or something to that effect in which you are playing as a hero and it's a kind of an online platform game yeah which is like yeah sure why not uh i'm even though i like marvel movies i'm not like the hugest hugest like mcu fan so i'll just kind of observe it from a distance and if it seems to be really fun I'll, I'll dive in sure and the last question is will the rumored george rr R. martin rpg be revealed at e3 i think it will be i think it will be there and it will be a big part of the show. Like, I think it will get be one of the biggest stories of the show. Yeah, um, I'm actually very uh, intrigued about that. I, I would like to see it revealed during the show. I want to see what it's about. Yeah, uh, I, I, I guess we'll see. I mean, it could be really good or it could be really bad. I mean, <laughs> ultimately, what RPG do you have highest hopes for at E3? Has it been announced what do you want to see? I don't know if it has been announced. Like I said, I, I, I'm always up for a surprise. But otherwise, my I'm most excited probably for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I'd say Pokemon is a close second. And uh, I have my heart open to all other possibilities. I'm really excited to see more Cyberpunk. I'm looking forward to seeing what might get announced on the new xbox i'm hoping that it will be something rpg related i don't think we're going to get a glimpse of it but i would love to see a glimpse of something that maybe obsidian is working on or Mm -hmm. playground games is working on for their new corporate masters in microsoft (laughs) i mean if any if there's any time to show something off or tease something it's during a microsoft reveal right Yeah, definitely. Uh, But we'll find out pretty soon. Guess we will. All right, Nadia, that's all of our E3 preview. If you have any thoughts or questions, send an email to cat.baileyusgamer.net, leave a comment on our show notes, or send a message on Twitter. All right, let's continue on to the mailbag. Okay, Nadia, last week we continued our console RPG quest, which we have on pause right now. A lot of nice comments about it right now. By the way, I've gotten some nice letters from people saying that they're really enjoying it. Thank you very much. I'm having a fun time doing it, too. 
yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I particularly like the uh, NES episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. So, in the last episode, we talked about the Sega Master System and the Sega Game Gear and the relatively limited RPG saga or legacies of both. But uh, we got a few notes on that. Neil Cameron says, So I never got Fantasy Star for the Master System. If I recall correctly, it was hella expensive. The game I can point to as ground zero for my love affair with RPGs was also on the SMS, and that was Ease Book 1 and 2. It was a very basic battle system where you walked into your enemies, but damn if that game didn't haunt me as I worked my way through that game. It was a few years later after playing this one, someone showed me the TurboGrafx-16 CD version of the game, and my mind was blown. Voices, animated cutscenes, and redrawn sprites. It was breathtaking, but I will still always think fondly of my first RPG. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Ease, and we goofed on it for basically being a game where you bumped into people. But hey, I mean, <laughs> it couldn't have been that bad because it sure spawned an entire series. It sure did. And like I said, like uh, most of those games have excellent remakes. Um, I think Ease 3 was remade as uh, The Oath and Felgana, which was a, just a great game. So by all means, go back and play those. And our next letter is from Sir Laguna who says, okay, just heard the axe of the bug god about the NES RPGs. Great episode. My experience with the genre on that console was Captain Tsubasa, Volume 2, Super Striker. The anime was incredibly popular during the 90s here in Colombia, so every kid got this game even if it was only in Japanese. We loved it, and we learned what every option and every string of kanji meant so that we could play it. Writing down the passwords correctly was an epic task, I bet. I actually love hearing, like, stories about uh, just, like, outside of North America and, and even, like, you know, Europe and, and the UK about, like, how, like, what consoles people played then and, and how they got by language barriers. Uh, one thing I was actually talking about recently uh, when I was at um, an event in Montreal was I was talking about uh, how games are localized. I said, to, I said to someone there, I said, do you guys get Parisian French or do you get Quebecois French, which is, it actually is quite different, you know, very different slang, very different everything. And I had this really interesting discussion about how um, Super Mario Odyssey, uh, sorry, not Odyssey, Super Mario Galaxy, some people in Quebec thought that maybe Nintendo was pandering a little too hard towards their slang and, and what have you, as in they just kind of did not lay off. Uh, I actually saw a screenshot where, like, Toad is sleeping and he's dreaming of poutine, so that just tells you everything. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I just, I just love hearing stories, like, about, like, you know gaming and other cultures and and localization and stuff like that so yeah thank you for that i think it's interesting that it wasn't even localized it just got thrown into columbia we're like here you go kids it's a game it's about soccer enjoy it (laughs) exactly yeah it's it's uh it's soccer it'll sell and it it did apparently captain sabasa is an interesting case by the way nadia because it's basically a menu-based rpg but in soccer form oh really um i remember when they tried to bring over what was it in its gosh what was it called Oh, Inazuma Eleven, and Inazuma Eleven—that was it. And um, they did that once. I don't think they ever did that again. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really catch on. Not the least because soccer isn't extremely popular in Canada or, or the United States. But no. uh, Captain Tsubasa Volume Two is kind of neat in that. So you see the characters running around, and uh-huh. you can choose a command from a menu, and they will do that. And then they have to build up, I think, will. And once they build up enough, they can take a super strike. Uh, like one of their special attacks at the uh, at the the net, and it actually kind of reminds me of um, version of Blitzball. 
That's actually really cool. Yeah, so as somebody who really enjoyed Blitzball back in the day, I was amused by it. And also, Captains of Asa had really good graphics. And there apparently is a version for mobile, which I actually downloaded, and I might be playing at some point in the near future if I ever can wean myself off Fire Emblem. I just love that um, soccer is so popular in parts of the world that uh, it's like, what can we do with us with soccer now? Let's make an RPG out of soccer. Calvin Redburn 14 uh, was referring to the Game Gear, said the Game Gear was a big, bulky battery eater, but the roguelike dragon crystal made it worth it. Its chippy theme still randomly starts playing in my head, and it stays there. And that's okay, because it's awesome. I miss dragon crystal, but if it's a roguelike, that's kind of interesting thing to have on a Game Gear. Yeah, come to think of it, uh, sometimes people will bring up, like, okay, I had a Game Gear and it wasn't great, but it did have Dragon Crystal. So it was definitely one of the more uh, well-loved games on that system. Sergeant Smash says, I actually just went on a splurge of Master System games back in March for Hardcore Retro Gaming's Master System Month. I didn't find anything that blew me away, but I definitely found a few uh, gems like Asterix and the Mickey uh, Illusion games. I've already played through Fantasy Star, good, but not my favorite, and I finally finished Golden Axe Warrior, a game that could have been better than Zelda, but has some absolutely baffling designs decisions that bog it way, way down. Yeah, I forgot about Dra- Golden Axe Warrior, but that was a thing, and it was not a good thing. <laughs> uh, all these games that want to be Zelda and utterly fail to recapture the magic of Zelda, much like uh, Pokemon. Exactly. It's like, hey, it's all about the game design, stupid. Not the, not the gimmicks. Turns out these games are extremely hard to design, and they're classics for a reason. And on that note, Axe of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Once again, subscribe to us. I'm on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out every Wednesday. And keep on an eye on a U.S. Gamer for all of our E3 coverage. We're going to have a lot of interviews. We'll have a lot of hands-on. have a lot of commentary. This podcast will have information. We'll be on social media all that jazz it's going to be a very busy week it's going to be all hands on deck nadia it sure is it sure is it will be all hands on deck pirates off the port bow (laughs) i feel exhausted just thinking about it but be ready to go on that journey with us but until then thanks for listening for nadia and myself we'll be back next week and until then happy adventuring